Hello, Internet. This is Chase Redshirt King Wassenaar, and welcome to the Redshirt King Manifesto. We are here once again to break down the 2017 World Championship. We're going to look at Group B today as we head into Week 2's action, as we finally get a hold of which two teams are going to fight their way out of this group. I'm very excited to talk to you guys today. I'm sorry there's no video. I really thought I was going to have one for this episode. It uh, didn't quite work out the way I'd hoped. There were some technical difficulties, and I felt like getting you guys the episode was more important than trying to figure that out uh, so close to when I wanted to release it. So we're just going to jump right into it, guys. This is a fun group. I, I want to start there. I had some concerns when we started out our preview that this was going to be a one-sided affair, that Longju was so much better than the rest of these teams that it would become this muddy battle for second with the Marines kind of falling by the wayside. And that hasn't been the case at all. I mean, it is true that Longju is better than everybody. We knew that going in. Longju right now, as far as I'm concerned, look like the best team in, in the tournament right now. But we'll get there in a second. But the battle for second is fascinating. I, I feel like any one of these teams on a given day, could make it work. I don't think that there's a huge gap between the second and fourth place teams in these groups. What we're going to do today is I'm going to go team by team, starting with the last place team here and moving our way up to our first place team. We're going to do the same thing for all the groups. Gives us a little bit of a nice framework with which we're going to be analyzing all these things. And of course, since we are the Rough Drafts podcast, the Guess the Lines podcast, uh, I don't have anyone to guess with me, but I do have lines I'd like to talk about at the very end of the show. So let's get right into it. Fnatic, 0-3. I think it's safe to say we didn't see that coming. I think even if you were a pessimistic European fan who looked at Fnatic's performance at the regional playoffs and said, they are flawed, this doesn't seem great, I don't think there was any indication that things were going to go this bad this quickly. This has been a mess. This has been a disaster on so many different levels. And I want to start with the most obvious one, and that would be Soaz. Soaz is obviously a longtime veteran, well-respected across the scene. He's earned his dues. He's a first ballot Hall of Famer the second he retires, and nothing that I say on this podcast is going to change that, nor would I want it to. But, man, he looks rough. Eight deaths in that game one against the Gigabyte Marines. Granted, anyone's going to have a hard time when they're frozen out of getting a single minion killed by six minutes and 25 seconds. I don't know if that's a record. It feels like it should be. I can't think of anything remotely close to it. But at the same time, you would imagine that Soaz is one of the people who would be the most responsible for figuring out how to attack this lane swap properly. He clearly wasn't able to do that. He clearly wasn't able to do anything against Khan in their game against Longju, where he just got bullied out over and over and basically seeded the map without ever really being able to contest the pressure that Longju was putting on him. And in quite a few fights in that game against Immortals, he 
he ended up being torn to shreds a little bit more quickly than I think they expected. I think he was a little bit too far up. Played a lot more like someone like a Nar who has some damage potential to throw behind him than he did as a Maokai. And this is something that's been a debate I've seen on social media quite a bit. How much of this is his fault? How much of this is Fnatic's fault? And I understand why we have this debate, right? At some point, you have to be aware of what your players' skill sets are, and you need to be working and game planning appropriately to match what they're capable of. So much of this season was built around this idea of getting the top lane going. Broxa spent a lot of time up there really getting Soaz in a place where he could have these outdueling moments, where he could play a Gnar, or he could play a Jarvan and really go after somebody, really focus on the split-pushing potential that he brings, the global pressure that he's allowed to have once he gets a couple kills under his belt. He gets used to that. And of course he would, right? This is what they did in almost every game that they played. So when they now have to shift to this bot lane focus, because we live in an Ardent Sensa meta, all hail, Ardent Sensa uh, supports are clearly above and beyond right now, even more, I would say, than I expected. I knew they were going to be great. I figured that some really good teams were going to try to pick something a little bit more proactive and, and take that micro advantage that they have in their mechanics and really snowball things. But no, we're all going Arden Sensor. That's where this game is. And that means that the attention has to go to the bot lane. Do we blame Soaz for not being able to adapt and accomplish a task that he has not been asked to do basically this entire year? Of course we do! Oh my god, of course we do! I don't know how this is an argument. Blows my mind. People love making excuses for players that they like, especially veteran players who have this great storied career ahead of them. But it's not like this came out of nowhere. They had a full month plus to prep for this tournament. Hell, they played the play-in stage, right? So has played the exact same champions he's playing right now in that tournament, and he did just fine. He knew that that was the task being asked of him. He knew that that's where the attention was going to go in. He knew that this was the game plan. They'd clearly scrimmaged with it. So none of this was being caught unawares. And certainly, even though this year he hasn't had a lot of moments in which the team has been focusing purely on the bot lane in the early game, it won't be the first time in his entire career that we've had a tanky top lane meadow where the other bottom half of the map is really where all the attention lies. He's smarter than this. And what I mean by that is I, I believe that if he was able to separate himself from his frustrations, from his tendency to get in his own head and really try too hard to force something to be the pivotal playmaker, I think he'd be in a fine spot. I think he's a, still a very good player. He was a first-team all-pro top laner just two months ago. And that feels like ages ago, if you watch this tournament, in which so far he has the second most depths of anyone in the group stage. Not a great sign. Only one from a power region to be in that bottom five. But at the same time, you have to believe that the frustration is getting to him. You see it in that Maokai game 
against the Gigabyte Marines where he just can't get anything done. He's constantly freaking out and and just tilted off the face of the earth. And understandably so, that's a tough game. But then it happens again against Longju where Nasus is able to bully him out of lane and Nasus is able to push him out. And so as gets no help and then he's tweeting after the game passive aggressive things about his teammates about how well I would be able to do that too if I didn't have to worry about my team. That's not a great look. It's not a great look in general, but it's certainly not a great look when you are one of the poorer performers that you've had that Fnatic's had at this event. That anyone's had at this event in the main in the group stage. This is this is really rough. And to me it begs the question can Soaz push past this? Is he open and willing enough to identify the flaws in his own play, to catch the moments in which he is too far extended, to catch the moments in which he is seceding too much ground and isn't making plays on the other side of the map that could help make things easier for his teammates? Or is Ezeko going to get in the way? I don't know. I don't have an answer to this. I fear it's the latter. I fear that his ego has put him in a spot where he believes that he truly knows best and he knows that the team would be a better off if they just let him do his thing. Why don't you let Soaz do the thing, guys? After all, he's a legendary player, long-term veteran, etc., etc. It's hard for a player to snap out of that. And when you have a whole bunch of your fan base that's defending you with exactly those types of arguments, you're probably not inclined to listen to what your coaches have to say if you believe the coaches were worthwhile and of course so as his own record saying coaches are useless so these are all concerns but i don't think it's the biggest problem fanatic has i think reckless is the biggest problem that fanatic has and that sounds crazy right chase look at that Immortals game and all those kills he got, those big moments up until the very end. We'll get there in a second. But up until that point, he was the big playmaker. He was the one that got things going against the Gigabyte Marines. The only one, really, who built up any momentum in that game. And he held his own against Longju. But did he hold his own against Longju? Because he was dealing 3,000 fewer damage in the overall game than Prey and Gorilla were able to do. He was even worse in the loss to Immortals. This is something that blew my mind. Yeah, Because at the time, I'm like, oh man, look at these big kill plays. Clearly, Reckless is, is doing all the things. This is the proactive team fighter we've been waiting for. And then I looked at his numbers after the game. Cody Sun did 7,000 more damage than him. 7,000! 7,000! This is a fed twitch! 7,000 damage! Where did that go? How did that happen? This is exactly what people have been criticizing Reckless for for years now. This idea of Reckless as a passive AD carry. And usually I'm one to say that that whole storyline is overblown. Sure, he is not a huge playmaker like an Uzi who wants to pick fights all the time. But I also don't think that he's a pure KDA player like a cop. I don't think that that's the case. I, I think that usually it's just that he values different things. He tends to value getting side wave pressure and really getting that split pushing going when he believes there's an avenue in which to do it. Is that right? Is that wrong? I'm, you know, I, I think that there are certainly downsides to it and we're seeing those downsides come to fruition. 
as team fighting becomes a huge necessary part of success here. But that's not the moment that people are going to be talking about. And I, I think that that problem ultimately, this inability to pick fights, is also a communication thing. And you look at Jez's going on Twitter and saying, you know, our performance here was indicative of issues that we've had behind the scenes. And I believe it wholeheartedly, by the way. That was not a hard sell for me to believe that this team is having some off-the-rift issues. But at some point, you have to wonder whether the problem is reckless not willing to make those calls himself. Oftentimes, the AD carry is the one who you would be expecting to, to pull that trigger and you know pick the target and really go all out on that. And I don't think Reckless is that guy, which is a problem because Caps and Broxa can't do it right now. Broxa looks a little nervous on the main stage. Caps looks terrified. Caps has really struggled uh, to put it in perspective, caps right now, 1.6 KDA, only 50% kill participation. He's winning lane and basically nothing else. He's having a hard time. And that's understandable. This is his first season on the world championship stage. And we often overrate players' ability to immediately step up and be able to go on day one and be as competitive as they were in their regional play. It's hard. It's hard to live in China right now for over a month. It's hard to have gone through all the scrims in Korea and, and all of those moments that, that led to here. And then having that pressure of having millions of people watching you, uh, more people than you had in Europe by a considerable margin. I get it. You know, he's 17. I get it. I don't think that we can vilify Cap so much for this. But if we believe that, and evidence certainly points that way, then Reckless becomes even more pivotal. Because this is Europe's MVP. This is the guy who was setting the mark, setting the bar for what we consider to be great bot lane play in the West. And right now, it seems like he's shying away in those moments, which is a huge concern because... If he's not stepping up, who will? But then we have to talk about that moment at the end of the Immortals game. It's become infamous now. It's one of those that's going to be played over and over and over again in hype packages uh, as, as players look back at, oh my God, I can't believe this throw. How did this happen? What an amazing storyline that Immortals got a win off of this whole moment. And... Look, I'll be honest, it's, it's pretty bad. You rewatch that clip over and over and you realize very quickly that there's nowhere near as clear of an option for a play as that flash would lead you to believe. I mean, when I watched it live, my instinct was like, oh yeah, he, had, he was going for that trade and had he gotten the kill first before it was reversed, it totally would have been worth it. But there was no chance of that. The health bars were too high. There were too many people... Surrounding him, I, I don't think there was a clear target for Reckless to pick. So what that tells me is Reckless felt a need to do something. And I know I just made all these comments about, oh, Reckless is being too passive. I should be glad that he tried to do something. And I am to a certain extent. 
But the problem is that he's doing things not because he wants to make a big play, not because he thinks it's the smartest play, but because he's feeling the pressure that says, I have to do something or we lose. It's a chaotic approach to that shot calling. It's a chaotic approach to that initiation. And it's just another example of Reckless's nerves seemingly getting the best of him in this spot. I have looked at his face. I, I don't want to be you know, a body language doctor the way that Bill Simmons tries to be a body language doctor because things can mean a whole bunch of, of different reasons behind every facial emotion, and that's just not something I want to get into. But I think it's safe to say that Reckless is an emotional player. He's gone on record as saying this. So I don't feel like I'm stepping on any toes by admitting that this is a guy who takes losses very hard and has contemplated stepping away from the game entirely in the past. I don't know if he survives another week like this. I don't know if he comes back to the game as the same player he was in that MVP season if Fnatic can't salvage some things in this last week. I think that Soaz might retire too, to be honest with you. I... I don't know that he's playing on a level that is consistent with what we expect a top-tier top laner to have. I think that's a very charitable way of putting it. But I also think that Soaz is not going to want to play where he's not living up to the standards that he sets for himself. I think he'd rather walk away while he's still respected and while he still looks as good as he did in that summer split. It's in play. And especially as the EU LCS is getting nuts and all of these different rumors, you know, we're going to 24 teams. No, we're sticking to 10, but it's best of one. It's a mess. And the last thing the Fnatic wants going into that offseason is for the roster to be in disarray, but it's kind of hard to imagine it staying pat, especially with these issues that Jezus is indicating. So that's Fnatic. I think they're a messy team right now, but the potential is there, right? If Soaz gets over himself and is able to play a tank the way that tanks traditionally need to be played, or if Fnatic feels comfortable enough putting him on a hard carry like a Jace and letting him go to town, things can improve a significant margin. If Reckless can play out the mid-game more aggressively and more proactively, this team can turn a lot around. But they need to survive the early game, which they haven't been able to do in most of their games, and they need to work as a unit to achieve these goals and close out games when they have the opportunity. And letting Immortals linger really didn't go well. So I think they're going to be the last place team at the end of the day. I, I think they have maybe a win in them against the Marines. I think that this is one of those situations where losses really snowball a team's mental game. It's hard to see Fnatic bouncing back the way that they have in the past. So that I, I have them as my fourth place team after this week. Let's move on to our, everyone's favorite team, the third place team in this group. The Gigabyte Adonis Marines. Oh my goodness. Oh, they're fun. Oh, this is everything I want from the group stage. 
I think that sometimes it's so easy to get caught up in who is the best team and what is the correct moment to make a play and who who is living up to this super high macro stage. But sometimes this game is fun. Sometimes it is really fun to see Karma, Cho'Gath, Tristana, Lucian, and Mordekaiser all locked in, all going to crazy lanes. That's just fun to me. Of course it didn't work. I, I could see exactly what the plan was, you know, trying to uh, make this lane swap to catch people off guard in the top lane, trying to uh, put out this unconventional mid lane where the Tristana would be able to safely make some plays. Uh, I even can understand to a certain extent the Mordekaiser safely farming underneath his tower, assuming that, oh yeah, Longju won't dive. What's the worst that could happen? Oh right, Longju can dive because they actually know what they're doing and they're a professional League of Legends team. It didn't work, but it was fun. And you know what else was fun? That win against Fnatic. That was a fun game. Though the lane swap there completely caught Fnatic off guard. I... I was surprised that it was as effective as it was, but more importantly, this Nocturne pick from Levi. Can I just tell you what a relief it is that someone is playing Nocturne who actually knows how to play it? Cough, cough, shrimp, cough, cough. You don't build tank. Go for the damage. Go for the big play. Go for the ultimate that blinds your opponent while you sneak a Baron. Oh my god, it was beautiful. It really was a cohesive game, and in many ways, I would argue that it's the most second most impressive game in, in Group B. There's there's one that's more impressive, and, and Longju is certainly at the helm of that. But it's it's been fun, and it's certainly showed a creativity that is keeping this Vietnamese team fresh. I think I've been saying this on the podcast for a long time, but I truly do believe that when you are aware that you are not the best team, it is your job to do everything in your power to make it work, to come up with some unconventional strategy to give yourself an advantage. This is why I didn't like their draft against Immortals. Yeah, it was meta. Yeah, it made sense from a technical standpoint, but it... It prompts the question, did they think that they were going to be better than Immortals in a straight-up match? Because if they did, spoiler alert, didn't work out very well. I don't think that that was the right play. I think you have to play to your outs, and I think your outs say, do cheese. Do weird things. Or at the very least, if you don't want to go cheesy, at least play around what works. And what you guys know work is Levi. Levi is so much fun to watch. I really just bask in awe of this guy. The numbers are not going to illustrate exactly how good he's been because when you're an aggressive jungler like Levi is, your deaths are pretty high. So his KDA isn't that great, especially thanks to that game against Longju where they got destroyed. Didn't work out very well for him. But he has this instinct, this killer instinct that makes him such an exciting player to watch. It's the same thing that draws fans to guys like Acadian, like Dardoch, like Karsa back in the day when Karsa remembered how to play League of Legends. We're going to get there. Not 
very happy with my Taiwanese boys right now. But look, this is a team that understands what Levi can do and is willing to say, go for it. Play the kind of composition that works for you. We will play around your tendencies. And they're not the only team to do that in, in this group stage so far. Uh, Cloud9, I would say, has done a very similar thing around contracts. And I really like when they do it too. This is nice to see teams understanding their strengths and weaknesses and playing around those better. Uh, I even want to give a shout out real quick to No Way. I thought No Way has been playing really well. Uh, not necessarily a great laner. I don't think that should be a surprise to anybody. But in team fights, he cleans up quite nicely, and he doesn't overextend and make silly mistakes. That's enough, especially when you consider that his support was regularly picking heal and ignite Lulu rather than Flash. I don't know why. It seemed like a waste of a summoner spell, especially because they weren't winning those laning phases. Ignite wasn't giving them any real kill pressure. But you know what? It doesn't matter because No Way got that amazing quadra kill that ended up closing out the game against Fnatic, and they were able to make that aggressive mentality pay off. Even if the summoner spell usage wasn't ideal, the concept behind it and how they played it out as a team worked exactly as planned. But, and you knew this was coming, there are some serious problems with this team on a fundamental level. And as much fun as I have with them, as much fun as it would be to predict here, oh yeah, guys, the Gigabyte Marines, they're coming back. They're going to take this spot and show everybody it's going to be the second time a wildcard team gets out of the group stage because look at how much fun this team is. I don't know. I don't think they have it. I, and I, I think multiple reasons I feel that way. Number one, Archie. I think he's been a mess. Obviously, the Mordekaiser game, things were going to go horribly wrong from the start of that. He just got dove over and over. There was nothing he could do. But I don't think he's played anything that stood out to me. And I, I feel like if they need to rely on him as a front line, that's going to be an issue. I don't think that he particularly filled that role well in their game against Immortals. Uh, it felt very anemic uh, compared to what they're used to. And, and it is something that I, I can't help but wonder. You've got Archie, who used to play support playing in the top lane, and Navon, who was a top laner for a while, now playing as a support. I don't know why that's the case. I don't know if it's a shot calling thing. I don't know if it's a preferences within this meta thing. I'm not a huge fan. I, I think that you can tell that Navon isn't necessarily a natural support uh, in some of the positioning mistakes that he made, though I do like his Lulu as a whole. And Archie does just look out of sorts. Optimus looks as bad, if not worse. I, I remember the days in which I looked at Optimus as a very strong mid laner. He's probably among the bottom three in this group stage right now. And it's easy to see why the control mages that he's used to uh, are not very popular right now. Much more priority is being placed on champions that have mobility to them, that can roam to these side lanes and really help 
build out those kinds of resources so you can snowball that AD carry, get to the late game, make sure that your tanks are in the right spot and that they've gotten the resources they need. That's just not the way Optimus has ever played. And I think that the cracks there are starting to show. So ultimately, how do I feel about this team? I think they have at least one more win in them. I'm not sure if it comes against Immortals or Fnatic. I, I cannot decide for the life of me. Uh, as an Immortals fan, I am terrified it's going to happen against us and suddenly this door for a three-way tie at two and four becomes an actual possibility. I have been stressing about that ever since I saw that the maths could possibly work out that way. And certainly this is a team that can catch people off guard. I don't think anyone saw the lane swap coming in the way that they did against Fnatic. Certainly nobody saw their strategy against Longju coming. Uh, they did say on Facebook that it was something that had never been done. And I agree. No one had done it. This is new uncharted territory. And I guess I'm happy for them. I, I should point out that that one early game was so bad that Gigabyte Marines now third worst early game rating among all teams at the event so far. Uh, second worst right now is Fnatic. And of course, of course, let me preface this by saying all of these numbers, we're looking at a three-game sample size that skews the data. That doesn't necessarily mean that, you know, if we were to play these games a hundred times out, that that would be the, the way these numbers shake out. But we only have six games to look at in a group stage ever. So at some point, we have to accept that a certain amount of data is enough. And what the data is telling us right now is that Gigabyte Marines are probably about where they belong at one and two. I do think they have enough creativity to catch someone off guard. I do believe their aggressive play style means that they could snowball a win. It certainly isn't coming against Longju. I could see it against Immortals, especially if uh, Ale is still as nervous as he was last week. I could definitely see it against Fnatic because I've already seen it against Fnatic. Uh, the one thing the Fnatic has going their way is that they don't play the Marines until their last game of the day. So there's a chance that game doesn't matter to the Marines anymore. There's a bigger chance that that game doesn't matter to Fnatic anymore. But either way, it's going to be a very interesting matchup. I, I, yeah, two and four seems about right for this team. And two and four for a Vietnamese team, that seems pretty darn good to me. Given the underwhelming strength of the GPL that I saw during my film study. I know this is now apparently a controversial opinion to say that a region that had Jisoo one game away from qualifying for the world championship is not a particularly great region, but all of that aside, coming anyone coming from a wildcard region like this and doing as well as they have is a very nice sign, and I'm excited to see what happens from here. Now it's time to look at my favorite team, the second place team so far in Group B, Immortals. We did it, fam. We avoided the trap game against the Gigabyte Marines. We endured a game that we had absolutely no right to win against Fnatic. We were at 2-1, and one, and that is all that matters, is what I wish I believed Oh my god, what in the world is happening to this team? I 
I really cannot stress enough how much anxiety I get watching Immortals play right now because there's this back and forth between who I believe this team can be and the team that I am constantly seeing in front of me. And while I would love to believe that this is just me being nervous, right? Oh, Chase, you, you silly person, you. You care so much about your team finding a way to get a win that you can't allow yourself to just enjoy it. But you saw that Fnatic game, right? Like, how many different times did Soaz have to step out of line? How many different times did, did Reckless have to pass up an opportunity to make a big fight? And that one play at the very end, if he doesn't jump towards us with that flash unnecessarily, do we come back? I'm not sure. We won that game while behind in gold. It looked like things were back and going Fanatic's way. It felt like they'd returned the course. It felt like Immortals had kind of capped out on their potential here. And that's a concern to me. I feel like it's safe to be concerned by that. So why is that happening? Why are, are, is this team struggling to get by? This kind of lukewarm two and one, if you will. Well, it starts with the fact that Cody Sun and Ole look like rookies. They do. And I had this same thought when it came to the NALCS finals. I said this last week. I'm going to say it again. They look nervous on these big stage moments. They just don't seem to understand how to keep their nerves in check. They, they constantly will step out or miss, uh, miss skill shots, especially Ole. He'll throw out hooks that are just completely wide. He'll be way too far forward. They overextend because they're trying too hard, and then they try to overcompensate the next time around. It's a very easy trap to fall into. They're certainly not the first, and they're certainly not going to be the last. But this is a bot lane that is the definition of trying too hard. And I think the teams ultimately can exploit that. I think Longju certainly exploited it. Uh, they got destroyed in that game. And I think that the Gigabyte Marines, No Way and Navon, were able to hold on as long as they did because Cody, Son, and Ale were so nervous, because they were getting killed out in the lane, because they couldn't seem to put the pieces together when they needed to most. You know, ultimately, a terrible invade in that game against the Gigabyte Marines made everything so much more difficult. Uh, they overreacted way too much to the counter-jungling early. They, they really... They looked skittish. They were sloppy. They were very underwhelming compared to where we think a North American team like Immortal should be against a Vietnamese team. And against Fnatic, I mean, oh my goodness. Do I, do I even have to explain how poor the, uh, the setup around those, those Barons ended up being? Do I have to, to point out the throws at these fights and, and, and just how many times that you saw Cody Sun just get decimated at the beginning of a fight and things kind of fall apart from there without that damage dealer? It's a problem. It's... They need to calm down. They need to go back 
to the kinds of early game style that they were running when they were crushing people in the NALCS regular season. And that, it, it's a simple formula. Wait for X Smithy to, to do enough to let Pobelter get out of lane. Let Pobelter's roams give you the day. Let Flame TP in and be the carry guy that he wants to be so that you take those towers and immediately start to accelerate the game. That's what you do. It's what you're comfortable with. You don't look comfortable playing from behind. You weren't comfortable at any point during that game against Fnatic. It, it, they ended up pulling it out, and they deserve all the credit in the world for that. I, I do not mean to take away from their accomplishments, but you don't win that game against a Fnatic nine times out of ten. Nine times out of ten, the, the lead that had been built by Fnatic is more than enough to close out that game. The, the composition scales better in the late game because certainly Cho'Gath is a much better scaler than something like a Jace is likely to be. I will say that this is something that Immortals are really going to have to take a hard look at when it comes to prepping for this week. A lot of their compositions were very much focused on early to mid-game solo laners and then scaling 80 carries. They were trying to have their cake and eat it too, essentially. This idea that like, oh, well, we'll have this 80 carry that takes use of Ardent Sensor, and that means that in the late game we'll always stand a chance, and but we still want to play to the early game, so we're still going to pick things like Talia and Jace, and that's going to be our plan. And there's nothing inherently wrong with that, to a degree. Um, certainly Flame looks like the most impressive guy on this team. Weird, it's almost like the guy who has... A long history within the game who was, you know, been one of the best top laners since season two with a couple years in China where things looked a little iffy for a bit. But a brilliant laner who is being is just confident taking it to basically anyone who stands in his way. Turns out that guy's really good on the international stage. Uh, 7.0 KDA right now, 6315 stat line. That's always going to go well. 15.7 CS differential at 10 minutes on average. That's absurd. That's absolutely absurd, even for a guy who created the term Flame Horizon because of just how far ahead he was against his opponents on a regular basis. That's where we are, and, and he's doing great, and I understand wanting to put him on carries because he is such a great carry player in and of himself, but if that's going to be the case, then put Cody Sun on something like Isaiah. Have your entire team peaking at the same moment because when you have this stilted dissonance, if you will. Games get drawn out. That Gigabyte Marines game took way longer than it should have. That was much less of definitive of a win than it had any right to be. Given how poorly Gigabyte Marines mismanaged some of those early game tactics, how in the world did it take 40 minutes to close this out? It You know, this is... It, it felt like they did not understand how to make the most out of their strategies while they could. In their first 20 minutes is right now the weakest part of their game. Even when they did take Isaiah like they did in that game, they're not pushing out these early game objectives. And it's hard to say how to fix that per se, because I think so much of it is just nerves. It's it's all a calming down. It it's, so reminds me so much of watching... 
the Atlanta Falcons with Michael Vick as our quarterback. Um, back when there was kind of a running joke where you knew you didn't have to watch the first drive because he was so excited about being on the field in front of everybody that every pass was like 10 yards past the wide receiver. Every time. He threw the ball way too hard. He was overdoing it. And then he calmed down. Week two, Cody Son and all, I need to calm down. They need to remember that they are here for a reason, that they have grown so much that they don't need to force things. And that if they let X Smithy run their offense the way that it is traditionally run, they can take advantage of these power spikes. They can get these cleaner closes and they can ensure that they're the ones that are ultimately in control and that when they get in control, they can actually close things out. Because let's face it, they were doing to the Gigabyte Marines what Fnatic did to them. The difference is they didn't, you know, Gigabyte Marines didn't have that one opening because Cody Sun didn't flash forward for no reason. It's still too close to call. And I, I think that I'm a little concerned about Poe Belter. That's, that's fair, right? Like, it's fair when he's getting outplayed by Optimus in that game, and Optimus has not been particularly great at this tournament. That's I'm allowed to be a little concerned by that, right? It, it does feel like he has not had the ability to get out of lane the way that he likes. It feels like teams have, have very much told him, like, you know what? You want to you wanna do this? Let's, let's keep this one-on-one -on -one going. Let's have you beat me. And then you have the right to go out and do things in the bot lane. Then you have the right to try to get flame going in the top lane. And it's really tough for Immortals to execute their high-paced, tempo-oriented offense if he can't get out of lane. Uh, and he's losing lane on average right now. And that's a huge problem for a team that has been depending on him winning in that first 10 minutes so that he does have the freedom to go make those plays. These are all fixable problems, to be clear. I, I think X Smithy is just as smart as he was going into this tournament. I, I don't think that any of the intangibles have changed per se. You just have to get Cody Son and Ollie to calm down, and you've got to find a way to free up Poe Belcher. Even if that means having Flame come down a little bit more, he has this lane lead, and I understand that they like to push this up. Flame is certainly a, a very valuable veteran player in this offense. But if you can get Pobelter going, your lives just become so much easier. It's such a, a more fluid team when they're able to put those kinds of combinations together. But yeah, I, I, don't, I don't have a ton to say outside of that. It really did feel like the strategy as a whole is solid. We've seen teams do well with that 20 to 30 minute spike and taking advantage of that through this quick snowballing. You know, especially the Koreans have been winning games in 30 minutes or under many times. And I think that that's something that Immortals could absolutely do to a team like the Gigabyte Marines, or even potentially to Fnatic, but they've got to shore up the consistency issues right now, because right now they're not giving themselves an opportunity to get there. Let's move on to Longju. I think this is pretty clearly the best team in this group. I think right now they're the best team in this tournament. I, I think that their uh, average game time has been nutty. Right now, they're averaging 25-minute games over their three games so far. They have played for fewer minutes than 
you know, Edward Gaming did in a game and a half. It's nuts. It's absolutely absurd how efficient Longju have been at closing out these games. And it's not surprising when you look at their early game numbers. Uh, averaging a 2,039 gold lead at 15 minutes. They've gotten first three towers in every single one of these games. Uh, their gold percentage rating is off the charts. They have a really good job at definitively uh, taking advantage of openings as they come. Only SK Telecom has done better at managing waves. They're second in lane efficiency at 52.7%. Uh, they lead... Uh, they're second in, in jungle control, actually, at 54.4%. Only Samsung Galaxy uh, and Misfits, of all teams, actually has more. Misfits snuck up on me. I didn't think to look at Misfits for the jungle control stat. Uh, we'll get there coming up, I guess, in a, in a future episode. That's fascinating to me. I'm learning as you're learning here, ladies and gentlemen. Um, this is a really fun team to watch. I have a really hard time being upset when Longju just destroys Fnatic or when they destroy Immortals. You know, I should have this loyalty to my Western teams, right? But, I mean, have you seen BDD? Have you seen him? Can we talk about how nuts it is that BDD still hasn't died yet? He's one of two players who hasn't died yet, and the other one is Ming, the support uh, for Royal Never Give Up, in, in, a, in a very different style of player. Uh... He's the best Galio in the world, and that has continued to be the case. He has a profound understanding of when it is safe to push up neutral objectives, when to push up each lane, and how to manipulate things such that he's always free to go make those plays. I, I think that it's, it's very telling when Prey and Gorilla are the third strongest lane that you have right now. And I do love everything that Prey and Gorilla have been doing, by the way. I, I think that Prey has been crushing his lane and, and with good reason, and Gorilla's just done such a great job of, of making those engages happen when they're needed and, and disengaging in the couple times that they needed to. Uh, they're always picking fights on their own terms, and that's massive. It's, it's huge in this kind of scenario to be the one controlling what everyone else has to deal with. If you're the one setting the plays, you're the one forcing your opponents to react and to deal with this aggression that you bring day in and day out. It's a really tough spot for your opponents, especially when you're as clean on the macro side of things as long as you are. All hail our Korean overlords. None of this was likely news to you guys. I think the NASA's pick was news to us. I think that was something that we did not see coming. It's a friendly reminder that Khan's champion pool is deeper than we all like to acknowledge. It's very easy to point to things like the Jace and the Jax that he does super well. And we haven't seen the Jax yet. I'm assuming we will at some point. But he's also got this Nasus pick now. And ooh, that was filthy. That was so gross. Just absolutely made Soaz look foolish. I've never seen a team so thoroughly in the lead without having to grab a single kill because of how perfectly Khan was able to manipulate those lanes and just keep pushing out with these siphoning strikes. And there was nothing anyone could do. It was just, it was over. Fnatic had lost basically from minute one because Khan understood exactly how to play out that lane. I, I can even say I'm, I'm impressed with Cuz so far. I don't think he's 
necessarily the best jungler, you know, certainly not at this event. I'm not even sure he's the best jungler in this group if you look at some of these intangibles, but he doesn't need to be. He needs to make sure that he's in the right lane when his solo laners need a play, and he has facilitated a lot. He's been huge for Prey and Gorilla in particular down in the bot lane, consistently coming down there, consistently making sure that Prey is getting kills so that when they do have those mid-game fights, he's already fed and ready to go. He's got 12 kills already at this tournament, four in each game. And given how low kill that game against Fnatic was, because they simply didn't need to beat Fnatic with kills, they just forced their will on them across the map, I, this is a really nice sign. I, I love this team. I love watching this team. I love thinking about this team and... I think they're the best team at this event so far. We, we've seen Fina uh, we've seen SK Telecom. Uh, they still look great, to be clear. But we did see them against EDG very much falling behind. Their early game issues have not fixed themselves, at least as of right now. Longju's got to be salivating after watching that film uh, from SKT's game against Edward Gaming. This is huge for them uh, as far as making sure that you know, their biggest competition still has a flaw that they can exploit. I, I think Samsung is clearly exploitable. They also seem to fall victim to strong early games. They they also seem to be a little all over the place. Uh, really great on day one, but have really faltered since then. Seems like they are a little bit slow to react to things. But I don't see that same hesitation from Longju. I, I see a team that very clearly has their identity. Uh, they know they know what they want to do. They want to win early, and they want to split push you to death, and they do it, and they're really good at it. And on the off chance that you feel a need to fight them, and you're able to force that fight somehow, good luck, because Gorilla's really good at disengaging from it. But when you do, you still have to deal with Prey and Khan and BDD, who are three of the best playmakers at their respective positions in the world by a considerable margin. I, I think that Longju is a great reminder of how far ahead Korea tends to be as a holistic approach of the League of Legends scene. This is a team that can operate basically at will across the map, and teams can know that it's coming. You know when that Nasus is locked in that this is what Khan's going to want to do. Khan's not the type that's going to want to wait to scale up until 50 minutes, and Siphoning Strike is super, super huge. This is a team that can tell you ahead of time what they're doing and then succeed at it anyway. And that, to me, is the sign of a truly remarkable team. I hope it lasts. This is a really fun team to watch, and it's a team that I think has the best chance to unseat the defending champion, SKT by a considerable margin. I think they're by far the most consistent team at the event right now. The key is going to be maintaining that. Nasus is one of those picks where I love it, and I I hope that Conan was aware of the dog champion meme that has been going around about Soaz for a while now. Uh, that would make it a thousand percent more hilarious. But either way... Nasus was something they could have kept in that back pocket, right? Now we know that Nasus is a thing that he can do and execute so well. Let's 
information that he's given over that they didn't necessarily need to give out. I don't think that they needed a NASA's pick to beat a floundering fanatic roster. Maybe that doesn't matter. Uh, maybe they're hoping that it draws bands away from what they're really looking to do. That next level mind game is always in play when it comes to looking at Korean League of Legends. But we'll see. For now, I just can't wait to watch them play more games. I think this is an easy 6-0. I think they're by far the best team in this group. I don't think that this is news, but it is quite fun to see how that all is working out. And, and let's talk about the individual games that we're going to be seeing. Uh, I'm not going to necessarily convert all of these into plus-minus the way that I have in the past, mostly because that's not the system that Unicorn uses. And I think that it's important, given that this is a Unicorn-sponsored podcast and I'm a writer for Unicorn.com, Maybe it'd be a good idea to keep things similar across the board. So I'm going to teach you guys about the decimal system real quick. It's a very simple idea. You get, the, when you place a bet, your amount of total that you'll get back from the casino is based on what you bet times the decimal. So if you want to think of plus minus, right? Minus would mean before it's you have to bet X amount of money to win 100. This is getting you to the specific decimal that you would have to multiply your bet by to get $100 of a surplus here. So if I bet $100 on, say, Immortals in this first match against the Gigabyte Madonna's Marines, Immortals are favored at 1.42. So multiply $100 by 142. Uh, 1.42, you get $142, so you would win a total of $42 off of that bet. But you would get $142 as the lump sum that you get back. You just invested that $100, so it's uh, $42 profit. This obviously works the exact same way when we're talking about what would traditionally be plus odds. Uh, if you multiply that $100 by, say, the 2.75 that Gigabyte Adonis Marines are giving out, that's $275. So that's a winning of 175, which is how we were phrasing things beforehand. That would have been the plus 175. But 275 is what you get back from the casino if you gave them $100 in the first place. So that's how that works. And that's the system that we're going to be keeping to moving forward. So hopefully that all makes sense. If it didn't, uh, we have this lovely comment section that uh, you should absolutely ask any follow-up questions that you may have. That, that was, by the way, the exact line for Immortals in Gigabyte Anonymous Marines. Immortals are pretty heavily favored, and I think that they should be. Uh, it seems like the Gigabyte Marines really wanted to pull out something special on those first couple days, and then they ran out of some cheese there. When they picked Standard against Immortals, it didn't go very well. That doesn't mean that there couldn't be more cheese on the way. I'm expecting it, and I'm secretly terrified about it. Um, as an Immortals fan who's just been waiting for this shoe to drop, this is a potential trap game where Immortals are so busy thinking about how to beat Fnatic and how to maybe try to steal a win against Longju that they let this Gigabyte Marines game kind of fall to the wayside. I, I think 2.75 for GAM is a fine odd if you're going to place a bet on that. Um, in fact, it's one of my favorite ones over the course of the day just because there isn't a ton of value elsewhere. 
Uh, for example, Longju is 1.11 favorites over Fnatic, who are at six flat. That's pretty lopsided. I, I think that, understandably, there isn't a lot of faith right now in the betting public in a Fnatic team that doesn't seem to have everything together against a Longju team that seems to be really, really, really good. I, I wouldn't really change things too much either. I think that's a fair place for that bet to go, and I certainly wouldn't take Fnatic at 6.00 at all. Um, Fnatic versus Immortals is, is really interesting because Immortals are 1.45 favorites there, uh, so very, very close to their line against the Gigabyte Marines, and, and Fnatic at 2.65, once again, very close to that Gigabyte Marines line. That tells me that Fnatic and, and and the Marines are being treated as essentially equal teams with a little bit thrown in there as a Fnatic bonus because they played in a power region in Europe that gives a little bit more confidence than Vietnam where a lot of variance comes into play in terms of the quality of opponent that they were facing on a weekly basis. I, I think that honestly it's pretty huge for the Marines that they're as close to Fnatic as they are. It, this is just another game where, as an Immortals fan, I think it's pretty likely that they'll hold on here. I think that they've now gotten a little bit under Fnatic's skin. And I want to believe that they're going to bounce back. You know, as I'm saying, this 1.65 for Fnatic is starting to sound a little good because, let's face it, they should have won last week. I, I don't know. I'm out on Fnatic is really what it comes down to. I, I don't want to get cocky as an Immortals fan because this is when terrible things happen. But I just don't believe in this Fnatic team. And let's just cut to their last game. Uh, Fnatic at 1.67 against the Gigabyte Marines at 2.15. I, I think this is a stay away game. Like, I don't see any need to bet on either side of that. I, I think that it's a very fair line on both sides, which means avoid it at all costs. But... I, I mean, that's where we are, right? This is 2017 World Championship. Fnatic are light favorites over the Gigabyte Marines. And I'm wondering if that line is still too much credit to Fnatic. This is rough. This is a, a, a very bad sign for them, a very good sign for the Marines. And I'm very happy for them that this Vietnamese team is really showing up, uh, even though I don't think they're going to do quite enough to get to the next round. It is... Very interesting to me that Longju's line against the Marines is actually closer than Fnatic's line. Longju 1.13 against the Marines versus 5.5 on the Marines side. You'll note that that's uh, 0.5 more, that uh, closer to the pin, you could say, that uh, Marines are being given here. Gamblers like Marines' odds to pull off an upset there more than they like Fnatic's odds to pull off the upset. And I kind of understand why. The Marines are willing to make big risks. They're willing to do weird things. And it's probably not going to work, but at least they're going to do something that gives them a chance to win. I don't think Fnatic has the cheese potential necessary to catch Longju out. And I don't think there's a shot in hell that they're going to outplay this Korean powerhouse. And, and in case you're wondering, Longju is, of course, also heavily favored against Immortals, though not quite as bad. 1.26 for Longju there. 
uh, 3.65 for Immortals. Don't do it. Don't do it. Immortals aren't going to win this game. Don't do it. And that's going to do it for this podcast. I hope you guys enjoyed it. Uh, if you did, you know, that like button really helps us out. Obviously, commenting really helps me out so I can keep this conversation going with you guys. I love hearing what you have to say. Um, and I, I think that there's a lot of fun, exciting things to break down here. Uh, of course, you can find me on social media at RedShirtKing. Uh, and I'm going to be doing these once a day, every day, uh, in, as to, until the end of week two, uh, just very similar to, uh, to this format for each group. And then next week, we'll go be going down to one podcast a week. It'll be the quarterfinals, the semifinals, and the grand finals. That gives me more time to focus on the making the quality of this show as good as it can be, getting that video aspect up for those of you who appreciate that side of things, but also taking some time to to work on some format stuff I want to play around with. I, I think this is an opportunity to experiment with some things, and I, I hope you guys are going to enjoy it. I also hope you guys enjoyed uh, my article on Fnatic, which should be up on the 11th. Uh, if you're listening to this then, you might be getting it a little bit before the Fnatic article comes out, but I wrote a piece breaking down a lot of the same points I made about Soaz and Reckless, but really putting it in uh, context with the uh, team culture issues that seem to be arising for them. So uh, lots of fun stuff there. Lots of fun stuff on the horizon. I've got a lot of articles actually slated for this week that I am so excited to share with you. But until then, goodbye, Internet.